Hey guys, what the heck is up? Um, I feel like I always say what the heck is up and I don't mean that like in a catchphrasey kind of way. Like I say, um, lock your doors and don't talk to creepy men. I mean it in a way that I tell everybody that. I'm like, hey, what the heck is up? Um, but sometimes I don't say heck, sometimes I say the F word. <laughs> Anyways, um, hey, it's Thursday morning. I'm recording, just drank way too much cold brew. Um, might poop my pants later, <laughs> haven't decided. Um, I'm currently sitting, staring out my window because yesterday the building owner of my apartment complex came by and left a note on all of our doors saying that he would be by sometime Thursday or Friday, um, to change our, uh, furnace filter. Uh, but he couldn't let us know exactly what time. So, sometime Thursday or Friday. Well, you know, that doesn't fly with my schedule, sir. Um, but yeah, because it's supposed to be like negative 30-something wind chill um, starting, I think, tomorrow on Friday. Not too excited about that. You know, I like the cold. The cold doesn't bother me at all. Um, but when it when we start talking negative... That's that's when I have a problem, Mother Nature. That's when I have an issue. Um, so yeah, it's Thursday. It's freezing. Um, but you know, we're here. We're thriving. And we're about to talk about murder. Um, so, yeah. Today, I'm crocheting a chunky white cardigan. So, a couple episodes ago, um, you know, I cannot remember which one because I... As soon as I hit publish on them, um, they leave my brain. But I was talking about how I was crocheting this like white, cream white blanket to put on my bed. But I can never crochet anything for myself. Um, so I tore that apart and now I'm making a chunky white cardigan out of that yarn. So instead of using it as like a single yarn, I'm putting two... Um, skeins together and using a bigger hook and it's just it's this really chunky cardigan and it's really cute and it's really soft and I'm really excited to see how it turns out so that's what we're doing today um and today's episodes no today's murders will be revolving around valentine's day because that's coming up so yeah um, also, I finally converted my cringy, um, 22-year-old obsessed with One Direction TikTok to crochet and crime podcast TikTok, so go follow me on there. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I make thirst trap videos for my projects, um, and yeah, I, I post them to my Instagram. Um, I have this one video that's doing kind of decent right now. I made a reusable like shopping bag out of plastic um grocery bags i cut them up and i put them together and i made plarn that's what that's called i guess um so yeah i made plarn and i took a video of it and it went not viral it did not go viral but it got attention and that's what i need um so yeah also merch is still in the works um like I said before, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just here. Um, you know, I, yeah, okay, merch, 
don't know what I'm doing, uh, got some ideas, uh, working with a couple different websites right now, trying to figure out what's the best option, um, just stay tuned, you know, keep an ear, eye, out, let's, let's get into this, yeah, we're gonna talk about the oranges about, oranges, (laughs) the oranges of Valentine's Day, the origins of Valentine's Day. Also, I've not yet bought a microphone. I've also been researching. Um, I know it probably seems like I get nothing done. I promise you, from the second I wake up to the second I fall asleep, all I think about is crocheting and this podcast. Um, I just want to make sure that I, like, I'm a broke college student. I don't have money to be, like, throwing at random things. Like, although, yes, this is, like, not a business, but it's, you know making me cash it's not making me an exponential amount of cash um so i'm trying to use my money wisely and improve this uh quality for you guys but i also got bills to pay you know so yeah i'm trying to find like the best option um for the cheapest amount of money possible for a microphone um i have a couple that i'm looking at on amazon because i don't know where else to buy them from but I don't know yet if I want one that, like, I clip onto something. Like, it'd be really cool if I could clip it onto my computer and then, um, just have it, like, sit there. But I might also buy one that you, like, set up somewhere. Um, I don't know, because, um, but yeah, I don't don't know if I want to buy a stand-up mic that you, like, put somewhere and speak into it. Because I don't have a desk that I do this at. I literally do it, like, on my bed. I set it up on my headboard. I put my crochet project in my lap. I put my phone against my computer and I just record. So, um, you know, I don't have the best setup yet either. Um, but I probably could convert to like doing it on my kitchen table too. Um, I would just have to make sure that like nobody's going to be home. But yeah, you know what? Let's get into the orange. <laughs> I said it again the oranges. <laughs> the origins of Valentine's Day. Yes. So. Even though we think of Valentine's Day as a day to celebrate love or loneliness, it hasn't always been chocolates and roses. Nice one, Laurel. In, wow, numbers, um, don't know them. In 269 to 270 AD, during the reign of the Roman Empire, Claudius Gothicus, love that, the, um, in the reign of the Roman Empire, Claudius Gothicus, yeah, during that, uh, the prosecution of Christians was a common practice. Um, the church recognizes at least three different states named Valentine or Valentinus. Valentinus. Um, yeah. One story says that Valentine was a priest who served during the 3rd century Rome when Claudius, Claudius decided that single men made better soldiers than those with wives and families. He outlawed marriage for young men. He said, you know what? Your one purpose is to fight. Um, Valentine, the priest, he realized that this was not okay, and he continued to perform marriages for younger lovers behind Claudius's back. When Claudius discovered this, he ordered that Valentine, Valentine, I don't know, um, he ordered that he be put to death. Uh, still, others insist that it was Saint Valentine of Terni, a bishop, who was the true namesake of the holiday. He was also beheaded by Claudius outside of Rome. You know, Claudius sounds like a real, uh, a real downer. Different stories suggest that Valentine may have been killed for attempting to escape, 
to help Christians escape harsh Roman prisons, where they were very often beaten and tortured during the rule of Catholicism. This is also the same story that created the idea of sending Valentine cards, as Valentine actually sent one while imprisoned, imprisoned to his jailer's daughter, whom he fell in love with, when he was, and he was often visited by during his confinement. Uh, before his death, it was alleged that he wrote her a letter signed, From Your Valentine, an expression that we still use today. Although all these legends are hearsay, and the, uh, mm, yep, English, um, although all these legends are hearsay, the stories highlight Valentine as a sympathetic, heroic, and most importantly, romantic figure. Now let's talk about the real gore. Also, I'm still dealing with mucus, um, you know, we're great buddies right now, so don't mind the sound of me, um, choking on my own bodily fluids. I love setting up pictures for you guys to imagine in your brain that you wouldn't regularly imagine. Um, we're gonna talk about the Valent- the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. So, here we go. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre was the murder of seven members and friends of Chicago's Northside Gang that happened on Valentine's Day in 1929. The men were hanging out at a parking garage on the morning of February 14th, and around 10.30 a.m., they were lined up against a wall and shot by four unknown attackers. Two of these weapons included Thompson machine guns. That doesn't mean anything to me, but if you know what that is, there you go. Uh, guns? Don't know them. Two of the men were dressed as uniformed policemen, while the other two wore suits, ties, overcoats, and hats. Um, although that sounds very fancy, that's just what people wore back then. So they just looked like, you know, normal civilians. Um, nowadays that would be them wearing hoodies, joggers, some vans, and a Carhartt beanie. Um, also, I, I love the way that fashion has evolved. Um, I am here for comfort, not for quality. Thank you. Um, witnesses saw the fake police leading the other men at gunpoint out of the garage after the shooting, and the victims included five members of George Moran's Northside gang. Albert, okay, these names, not gonna get them right. Albert Kachalek, Kachalek, K-A-C-H-E-L-L-E-K, Kachalek, also known as James Clark. Yeah. Um, he was killed along with Adam... Hare, Albert Weinshank, Frank Gusenberg, Peter Gusenberg. Um, two associates that were shot also during this included Reinhardt H. Swimmer and John May. When the real Chicago police officers arrived at the scene to find that they found that Frank Gusenberg was still alive. Uh, he was taken to the hospital where he was briefly stabilized enough for police to try and question him. Um, it was found out that he had sustained 14 bullet wounds, and when police asked him who did it, he simply said that no one had shot him. Uh, yeah, he passed away three hours later, uh, never talked about it, didn't want to, maybe he was scared, it, maybe he was not alive. Um, Al Capone, Al Capone was widely assumed to have been in charge of the murders in a, in a, mm, yep, English. <laughs> love that language, in an attempt to get rid of Moran. Moran was the last survivor of the Northside gunmen. 
Earlier in that year, Frank Gusenberg and his brother Peter had unsuccessfully tried to murder Jack McGurn. The Northside Gang was also responsible for the murders of Patsy Lalordo and Antonio Lombardo, who were presidents of the local mafia and close to Capone. So, Miranda Capone had been fighting for the control of the Chicago um, bootlegging trade, like for alcohol. And Moran had been coming down on Capone in the Chicago suburbs where he had taken over several saloons that were run by Capone, insisting that they were his territory. So, you know, there's a little uh, tension going on between Moran and Capone um, over alcohol. So the plan was to lure Moran to the CMS, no, SMC warehouse on the North Clark Street and kill him and possibly two or three of his lieutenants. Um, but it was believed that the Northsiders were lured to the garage with the promise of whiskey supplied by Detroit's Purple Gang, which was associated with Capone. Um, the Gusenberg brothers were supposed to drive two empty trucks to Detroit that day to pick up two loads of stolen Canadian whiskey. I don't know why it's Canadian. Maybe they got that good, good, uh, maple flavored, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm not funny. I don't know why I'm trying to be. All of the victims were dressed in their best clothes, with the exception of John May, um, because he was a mechanic and I guess mechanics weren't allowed to dress nice. I don't know, but the nice clothes were usual for gangsters at that time. Um, most of the Moran gang arrived at the warehouse around 10 a.m., but Moran was arriving late because he was leaving his house late. Uh, sounds like me. He and a fellow gang member, Ted Newberry, approached the rear of the warehouse from a side street when they saw a police officer approaching the building so they turned and retraced their steps to go to a nearby coffee shop to avoid any of that you know law confrontation because they were doing legal things um so they as they were walking back to the coffee shop they were encountered by henry gusenberg um i don't know if he was related to frank or not um doesn't say but they encountered him on the street and warned him too since he was also part of the gang so Northside gang member willie marks also spotted the police car on his way to the garage and ducked into a doorway writing down the license number before leaving the neighborhood so capone's outlooks um likely mistook one of moran's men for himself and witnesses outside the garage saw a cadillac sedan pull up and stop in front of the garage they watched four men emerge and walk inside, where they found the members of Marines Gang gang, and Associates, um, Reinhardt Swimmer and John May, who was fixing one of the trucks. The fake policemen ordered the men to line up against the wall, and then they signaled to the pair, of civilian, the pair in civilian clothes who had accompanied them. Two of the killers um, that were dressed as officers opened fire and did not stop shooting. When, even when the bodies had clearly hit the floor. Um, in my morbid brain, the song, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor, yeah, that's playing. Um, it shouldn't be. But, yeah, they. Uh, the story that I read described him as being sprayed with bullets, but that kind of sounds really gross, um, so I didn't want to say it, but then I did. Um, so yeah, the, the police officers, the fake police officers, they just, they literally just pew pew for a good two minutes. Um, so to give the appearance that everything was under control after that, the men in street co clothes came out with their hands up, um, being prodded by the two policemen. So they went in there, 
shot them all, and then acted like they were arresting those two in civilian clothing. So inside the garage, the only survivors were John May's dog, Highball, thank God, and Frank, who had passed later in the day. So the incident possibly resulted from a struggle to control organized crime in the city during the prohibition between Irish Northsiders headed by George Moran, or Bugs, um, and their Italian Southside gang rivals led by Al Capone. Uh, the attackers have never been identified, uh, but the past members of Egan's Rats gang uh, working for Capone are suspected of the role, as are members of the Chicago Police Department, who allegedly wanted revenge for the killing of a police officer's son. So, the parking garage was demolished in 1967, and the site is now a parking lot for a nursing home. Lovely. Full circle. Um, but the bricks in that, like, the bricks that the victims were shot up against were purchased by a Canadian businessman. Why are, why are can Canada people involved? I don't understand. Um, but they were purchased by a Canadian businessman and were placed in various crime-related novelty displays. Um, many of them were later sold off for... <laughs> ching you know huge amounts of cash but now some are owned by the mob museum in las vegas who wants to go with me i'm down let's take a field trip um so that that was that story the saint valentine's massacre um what do you think about it i i just i don't know i find like mob stuff kind of cool um I think it's interesting. It's not very, like, true crimey, but people died. That counts, right? Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back and talk to you about the murder of Denise Luthold. I did not say that last name right. <laughs> okay. As I was taking a break, I was drinking some cold brew, <laughs> and I went ahead and added my sponsored segment into the very beginning. How many of you guys listen to that? Or do you guys just skip right through it? Because... When I listen to podcasts and this, I hear a sponsor come on, I'm like, boop, 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 skipping right through that. I don't want to listen to that. Um, so yeah, you guys don't have to listen to that. Just know that um, I'm here to collect my bag. And you don't have to listen. <laughs> so now we're talking about the murder of Denise Luthold. Um, L-E-U-T-H-O-L-D. Luthold? Luthold? I don't know. You don't know either. And if you do, no, you don't. Nathan Luthold was described by many as a good person. He was extremely involved in his church and community. Never before had he had run-ins with the law, and he and his family regularly went on mission trips to other countries through his church. This all changed on Valentine's Day in 2013. Around 3.15 p.m. on February 14, 2013, Nathan called 911 to his in-laws' home where he was living with his wife and three children in Illinois. Denise Luthold was 39, Seth was 12, Julia was 10, and Janelle was 4 at this time. Nathan decided to call 911 after noticing that his wife hadn't been answering her phone calls or text all day, and when he was and when she had not been by to pick up Janelle from daycare, her family began to worry. The sarcastic tone will make sense in about 4 seconds. Nathan claimed that he was on his way to pick up Janelle when the daycare called and said that Denise hadn't shown up. But as he was close to home, he decided that he would just stop by and check on her first um, instead of getting his daughter from daycare. Uh, in this 911 phone call, Nathan told the operator that there was a break-in and that 
and he didn't really show any concern for his wife or anyone else that could have been in the house at the time. He just said, you know what, someone broke in, you guys should probably come down and check it out, I don't know. Um, and when the operator decided to ask what was happening, Nathan began stumbling over his words while explaining that, that somehow the garage doors open, uh, there's glass from the back door, and, um somebody broke in and he didn't want to go in the house and that they needed to come down. But interestingly, you know, um, after the phone call was made, Nathan decided that he would flip his car around in the driveway to face away from the house. Um, I don't know if he was planning on, you know, skedaddling real quick at any moment if needed, uh, because in the back of his car was foreign currency, safety deposit keys, and passports. Hmm. Wonder. So, when the police arrived and entered the home, they sadly found Denise's body on the floor, and she had a gunshot wound to the back of her head. Um, when police asked Nathan what guns were inside the home, he told the police officers he had three gl- three gluns. I love gluns. Three guns, including a .40 caliber something. Um, yeah. The only thing that matters is that that matched the exact same wound that killed his wife so upon searching nathan's phone because you know he was automatically a suspect husbands significant others such they're always considered a suspect um innocent until proven guilty but a suspect um but when they searched his phone they they found some pretty interesting text messages that took place between him and a younger woman named ana um, that led the police to suspect that the two had been talking about killing his wife. Killing his wife. Yeah. Ana and Nathan met while he and his family were doing missionary work in Lithuania. Uh, Ana and her mother were heavily involved in the church, and Ana helped out with the children often. When they were supposed to go back to the U.S., Nathan decided that it would be a good idea for him and his family to sponsor Ana as an exchange student interested in ministry work and music. Nathan then became obsessed with her and carried on a relationship with her. Many of his emails and text messages to her were used as evidence in the case. And at some point during the trial, the defense attorney claimed that there was no evidence that Anna and Nathan were romantically involved, to which Judge Kevin Lyons yelled, Really? Um, Which is rare for a judge to do. Like, usually they'll kind of keep their opinion on the case uh, quiet, but when they speak out, that's when you know, you know, it's bad. Um, Anna took the stand and claimed that they were never romantically involved, but if you just read three out of the 3,000 messages that they exchanged, you can see that that definitely is not the case. Um, they were 100% romantically involved. Uh, I read somewhere that there was this local spa shop thing, um, and one of the workers testified that, uh, Denise and Nathan would come in quite often but nathan would always come in with another woman too um and that woman was ana i feel like you don't you don't go to spas with your um exchange student that you're sponsoring i've met many exchange students in my life and i don't think they ever went to a spa with their sponsor uh that's just my experience um can't speak for everyone but i feel like i can so i will um According to prosecutors, he killed his wife as a Valentine's Day gift for his 20-year-old Lithuanian lover, Anna Dobolite. He was arrested on March 6, 2013, 
around 8.15 a.m., and in September of 2014, a jury found Nathan guilty. It only took 90 minutes for the jury to return with a guilty charge for first-degree murder. Nathan decided that he would never take the stand, which is... I feel like that's okay. You know, if you're guilty, do not take that stand. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to say that you're not guilty. Um, it only took 90 minutes. Yep, I already said that. Mm-hmm. Nathan never took the stand. Also said that. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but in his statement to the families, he still maintained that his he was innocent, and he claimed that he would continue to pray that her real killer would be found and brought to justice. He was sentenced to an 80-year term in the Illinois Department of Corrections for first-degree murder. Before reading his sentencing, Judge Kevin Lyons said, um, let me scroll because, you know, it's cut off there. Judge Lyons said that, um, I have to give you credit. You lived a law-abiding life, and for many years, you did good things, but you have poisoned it all. So, yeah, that's, that's the case. Um, you know, don't cheat on your wife. But if you are going to cheat on your wife, you don't have to kill her. I am... Not 100% positive, but I am almost positive that she would rather you tell her I am leaving you for another woman than to shoot her in the back of the head. Um, but then again, I also just watched a video on a case, cannot remember the name, um, but this guy and this girl, uh, they were older actually. They were madly in love since very young. Um, they got married and then he ended up cheating on her with his boss. Um, he moved to a different city to get this new job. And while he was there, he was having a raging affair. Um, his name was Mark, but I can't remember the other girl's names. Um, but what ended up happening was he talked with his wife about it and how he wanted to leave her. And so she was like, okay, cool, but, like, you still have to spend time with me and all this stuff. And so she was basically just trying to, like, make him fall back in love with her, like, prolong the marriage. Um, and then what ended up happening was he was like, nope, not working, we're getting a divorce. And she's like, okay, cool, um, I'll sign the papers. I just have to go do this one thing real quick. And she ended up going to the mistress's house and taking a picture of her trash in which there was a condom a used condom from Mark. Um, and she was like taking pictures of it and sending it to him. And she was like, I hope you have a good life. Um, but not with her, not with me. Goodbye. And then obviously he freaked out. He went to the mistress, mistress's house where he found both of them shot dead. Um, so, you know, maybe some people would not like to hear that. But I think that most people would. Um, I need to find the name of that case because it's actually a really good case. It's like Mark and the wife's name starts with a G. And it's like a unique name. Oh god. Okay, hold on. I gotta find that real quick and tell you guys. Okay, I found it. So it's um, the, the guy's name is Mark um, Geridot or Geridot. Um, and Meredith Chapman is the mistress. She was 24, or, no, she was 33, sorry. Um, and she hired Mark to work at the University of Delaware. Um, and then the, the girl, the wife's name was Janair. She was 49. Um, 
and what ended up happening was she, you know, obviously went to the house, um, but she wore, like, a wig and was, like, super uh, disguised and had been, like, stalking Meredith for quite a while, and people saw her in the neighborhood, but they didn't know it was her because she was in a disguise, um, but yeah, she shot Meredith and then she shot herself, but in her bag that she brought, there was, like, stuff that indicated that she might have, like, shot Meredith and then ran to live another life. She had, like, more disguise stuff and then, like, a passport and all these other things, but, um, it's assumed that just in that moment she was just so upset and she killed herself, too. But that, yeah, that episode, or that episode, <laughs> that case is a doozy. I might have to, like, full in depth cover that one day. I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. You know, guys, thanks. Thanks for listening. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. You know, whatever, whatever you have planned for Valentine's Day, just remember to stay safe. Um, sadly, we're still in the middle of a raging global pandemic. Um, I don't know if it's raging everywhere else right now. America just kind of sucks, um, when it comes to being told what to do. Wear your mask, social distance, don't go to parties, um, I know it's hard. I'm 22 years old, guys. I know I say it all the time. But me, of all people, I want to be at a bar right now. I I want to be dancing until 4 a.m. Um, but I'm not because I know that it's not safe. Um, so yeah, just don't be dumb. Um, I also read somewhere that if you are on your period the week before Valentine's Day, you will be fertile on Valentine's Day, so don't have an unwanted surprise pop up in a few weeks, because we do not need children right now. You know, we do not need kids. Um, and if you don't have plans, know that I love you. And, you know, we can go on an imaginary date in your head if you want. That's totally fine by me. I'll, I'll allow that. Uh, we can go out for uh, movie, no, actually, I, I don't like movies, I, I do not like movie theaters, we can go, you know, on a picnic in the park, we can pretend it's warm, and that it's not negative 38 degrees, um, we can have a, a nice cheese board with some wine, and eat way too much bread, um, and then, you know, that, that can happen, it's okay, um, but also, of all things, remember to lock your doors, and don't, don't talk to creepy men, Um, and love is love. Thanks.